Good afternoon to everyone. This is now the record. This is now, I think, 16th episode or a recording on our intro to Lutheranism, talking about the Lutheran faith, what we believe, teach, and confess as Lutherans. And today we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper, uh, which is the sixth of the six chief parts of Luther's small catechism. And as we go through this, I'm going to start, I am going to read. Uh, what Luther has written in his catechism about the Lord's Supper. But we're also going to talk about, um, and then from there, we're going to look at all the various texts that speak to the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to start here with uh, Luther's writing. So it says, what is the sacrament of the altar? It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and to drink. Where is this written? The Holy Evangelist Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul write, Our Lord Jesus Christ, the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What is the benefit of this eating and drinking? These words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, show us that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation are given us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. How can bodily eating and drinking do such things? Certainly not just eating and drinking do these things, but the words written here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, these words, along with the bodily eating and drinking, are the main thing in the sacrament. Whoever believes these words says exactly what they say, forgiveness of sins. And then finally, who receives this sacrament worthily? Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training, but that person is truly worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared. For the words for you require all hearts to believe. Now that last one deals with the subject of closed communion, which will be the subject of the next video. But right now we're going to talk about specifically Lord, the Lord's Supper. What is it? What do we as Lutherans believe it is? And the reason I say this because there is differing views. There's the there's the Reformed understanding. There is the or the Calvinist understanding. There is the Roman Catholic understanding, and then there's a Lutheran understanding. And we all have differing views. and And there's some variations here and there across the denominations. But there's three primary views when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And so what I'm going to begin with is I'm going to read, um, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 17. So this is one of the many texts we have regarding the Lord's Supper. It says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare you for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, 
The teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. And they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And they were eating. He said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. Now here's the key thing of the Lord's Supper. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after eat blessing it, broke it, and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So obviously there's quite a bit inside of this reading. So the first thing is you have the elements. There, First off, there's the terms. What terms we use regarding the Lord's Supper. So there's Lord's Supper, as I've been saying. So Lord's Supper... It's called that because it's the supper that our Lord prepared and he gives and he administers through the hands of the pastor. Um, sacrament of the altar, and it's called that mainly because it's the sacrament that happens at the altar. But the other two more common one, two other ones is the Eucharist is one of them. And then the other one is communion. We're going to talk about communion when we get to 1 Corinthians. But it's called the Eucharist. And the reason is, is because it says right here, after blessing it, broke it. So he, so it says here in verse 27, and he took and uh, took a cup, and when he had given thanks, the Greek word there is oikaristo, or Eucharist, which literally means to give thanks. So it's a meal of thanksgiving. That's where the term comes from, is because that is what Jesus did prior to administering it. So he says, take, eat. This is my body. So what is, what's this? What does this refer to? The bread. And so he says, the bread is my body. Now here's the question that comes into debate. Is, did it transform into the body? Or does it represent the body? <coughs> That's the common argument. And this similarly goes to the next line where he says, this is my blood. So what's this? The obviously not the cup itself because you're not going to drink, you're not going to drink the cup, you're going to drink what's in the cup. So, the contents of the cup, the wine, is the cup, is the is his blood. So, again, is he representative? It's possible he could be talking metaphorically. This, this is like my blood, you know, that type of thing. He there's that possibility that's what is believed by many that he's being representative. But here's there's this is kind of one of those things you got to think about the context. Is you notice I read this whole situation of stuff about the Passover. Right before this, 
He says, he who has dipped his hand in the dish will be, with me will betray me. Is Jesus being metaphorical there? Is he going to be metaphorically be betrayed? Did he metaphorically dip his hand in the dish? No. See, Jesus is not on this night speaking metaphorically. And he, I mean, he does have that hand, but if you read through it, he, he sometimes could be very um, kind of hidden in what he says. And this actually comes up in the Gospel of John, where they say that, you know, they're often confused with what he's saying. But in the Gospel of John, it's on this night that they said, ah, now you are speaking clearly. And the reason it, it makes sense because of what's going to happen. He is going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. He just told them that one of them is going to betray him. And it's not a moment for metaphor. It doesn't make sense in the overarching scheme of what's going on. If you are spending the last night, your last regular earthly life with someone, you're not going to speak in metaphor, not generally, especially if you're giving them important instructions that you want them to repeat. He said, so it makes more sense for him to be speaking literally. So does that mean the bread transforms into the body? This is what's known as transubstantiation. So the substance of bread transforms into the substance of body? Well, that's not what he says. He still says this, the bread. So the referent to this is the bread. So the bread is the body, which means the body is the bread in this moment. No, not in all of Jesus' body is bread. But what's in the referent is bread, it is body. It is body, it is bread. And so how does that, this is why, if you remember a couple of videos ago when I was talking about the office of the keys, and I was talking about the, the pastors are the stewards of the mysteries, there's a reason why the Lord's Supper has historically been referred to as a mystery. It's a mystery how that bread is the body of Jesus. That wine is the blood of Jesus. And it says it is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And again, so many people say, well, that's towards the forgiveness of sins or on account of the forgiveness of sins. They'll say this is on account of the forgiveness of sins. Um, again, that's not how it works here. It's actually the, the, the language is talking about that the, the drinking, the eating, well, at least the very the eating and the drinking makes brings the forgiveness. The way that you, the, the order of the wording, the use in that particular Greek word, it is the eating and the drinking that brings forgiveness. All right. So, and then verse twenty nine says, "I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until." that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So this is why sometimes we refer to the Lord's Supper as a foretaste of the feast to come. Because Jesus says that I will drink this with you anew. And so in other words, we are getting a foretaste of that day when we'll drink it with him in his kingdom, in his Father's kingdom. So we're going to jump to, so next one we're going to is the Gospel of Mark. chapter 14 and so it says and as they the disciples in jesus 
So verse 22, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, the bread is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this, the wine is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the new, in the kingdom of God. So I should make a note is that he talks about this is the blood of the new covenant, etc. So we have that in the, in the gospel of Matthew. This is the blood of the covenant or the blood of the new covenant. Um, this is this is actually kind of what I've talked about before that. Way, way, way back, I think one of the first videos I talked about the difference between the New Testament, New Covenant, and Old Covenant. Uh, much of the New Testament deals with that there was an old covenant that was established through um, Abraham, reaffirmed through Moses. And the old covenant, they would pra practice the Passover. And by the way, the night that they're doing this is the, the eve when most people would be celebrating their pa the Passover feast, right? So here, Jesus and his disciples are instituting a new Passover, a new meal. And so this is part of the New Testament, the covenant that is, so the old covenant was, was um, given through Abraham, passed through Abraham, reaffirmed through Moses. The new covenant is the covenant that comes by Jesus, all right? And the Lord's Supper is the feast of the new covenant. And actually, you know, we talked about baptism. Baptism is kind of like the new covenant circumcision, which actually is referenced in the book of Colossians. But that's discussion for another time. Uh, Luke chapter 22 says, When the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat the, this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. So, again, this is, he says, one question is, why is there two cups? Uh, the reason is the first cup is part of a different meal. There's two different meals going on. So the first cup is connected to the, the, uh, the previous meal. Then there's the second one that comes right after the bread. That's the Lord's Supper. So the bread, again, it says this, the bread, is bread being the referent, this is my body. Again, this cup, the substance in the cup is the wine. So the wine that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So it is his blood. The bread is his body. The blood is his wine. The bread is still present. The blood is still, I mean, the bread is present. The wine is present. The blood is present. The body is present. They're all present. There are four present elements. 
The physical elements are bread and wine. The spiritual elements are body and blood. In a mysterious way, we don't understand how they are there. They're both present. That's how Jesus says speaks of them. Um, and note, again, doesn't make sense to be talking about metaphor when right in the exact same contents he is talking about his betrayal. It does not make sense for him to weave metaphor with the prediction of his betrayal. Why would he do that? So does that mean the betrayal is metaphor? No, he needs he is speaking clearly on this night, and the Gospel of John affirms this. Um, I'm going to go to the one passage in the Gospel of John that may or may not deal with the Lord's Supper. Now, the Gospel of John does not have the institution of the Lord's Supper, and probably the most likely reason for this is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke had been well in circulation, as well as 1 Corinthians, which we're going to read a little bit here. And so people were familiar already with the communion texts or the institution of the Lord's Supper texts. And so it wouldn't make sense. So he probably would, it would make sense for him to think, well, I don't need to really talk about it. But it is not, but he does write as if people, he knows that people are aware of it. So I'm going to go all the way here. We are in John chapter 6. And so it says, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How could this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my body, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So the debate here on this text is he talked about the Lord's Supper. And I think it may be one of those cases of what we call a double entendre, that he is talking about two things at the same time. So to eat on the flesh and to drink on the blood could be reference to the Lord's Supper, and I think it is. But And it would make sense because at this point, people who would be reading John's gospel would be very be very aware with the institution of the Lord's Supper. And so they'd be able to supplement what is being talked about in this text. But on the other hand, but there's also the reality that G, the gospel of John begins with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. And then the word became flesh. The word, the flesh of Jesus is the word. So it also could be a reference to hearing his word. So those who are in, unless somebody here is in his word, unless um, somebody is receiving his means of grace, they cannot be, there cannot be salvation. And that's what he would be getting at. So is it about the Lord's Supper? Yes. Um, but it's also, it is also about the proclamation of the word. It's about the word itself. So it's kind of a, it's a multiple meaning. It's kind of a complex text. Um Martin Luther did not think this had to do with the Lord's Supper. Martin Chemnitz, who is also very significant in the history of the Lutheran Church, did believe it was. Um, throughout the history of the church, um, in the earliest days of the church, from what we know of the church fathers, they pretty much all 
every record that we have before the second century, they all believe that the bread was that the body and blood of Jesus was truly present, is truly present in the Lord's Supper. Um, and so strongly was this held that there were Christians who were actually executed over this. And the reason was was because a, a rumor spread that Christians were cannibals, that they're eating humans, uh, specifically human infants, is what was the rumor that's circulated. And so now while that is not true, the rumor is evidence that people were that people were hearing Christians believe. It's evidence that Christians believe that they're eating true body and the true blood of Jesus. And so basically the truth got majorly distorted by people who are outside of the church. And by the way, when this persecution happened, it would have happened very close to the same time John is writing his gospel. So the next passage we're going to go to is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we've gone to this chapter a few times. And it's kind of important to note that the Lord, this is written, there's a reason why out of all of Paul's letters, it is 1 Corinthians chapter, it's 1 Corinthians that has a writing about the Lord's Supper. The reason is the Lord's Supper, the reason is that Church in Corinth is a church that is fighting and squabbling with one another. They're fighting about anything and everything they can think of to fight about. The very start of the letter to the church in Corinth is this dispute. People are saying, well, I'm, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. You know, they do this whole thing about who they follow. And it's an ego trip. That's ultimately what it is. It's trying to show who's better than one another. And so we're dealing with the church is very divided. <clears throat> and I actually have to go backwards, not to chapter 11, but i got to go back to chapter 10 because this is actually of relevance here. So chapter 10, verse 14, it says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood of, body of Christ? There, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. And then here comes the relevance again. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So the word there, it says, it's not, is it not a participation? Participation is not a very good translation from the English Standard Version. Um, participation is like, you know, I participate in basketball. It just means you're, you just happen to get the meal and you're having something to eat. The, the better... The Greek word there is koinonia, which refers to community or communion. That's probably that is a translation we usually go with. This is where the term communion comes from, is this passage. And communion means common union. So literally, the many become one. It's a very it is the it's a celebration of community. And it is through the body and blood of Jesus that we are united to one another in the supper. 
And this will become very relevant when we talk about closed communion in the next video. But so jumping to chapter 11, verse 17, it says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the play, first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are factions among, or sorry, there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For that there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. And there's the term, Lord's Supper, right there. Um, and so there's also where this term comes from. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's where we're going to end on that part, because the rest of this will become relevant when we talk about the closed communion. But there again, this, the bread, this, so the reference to this is bread. So the bread is my body. Again, this cup, the reference is a cup, the wine within the cup is the new covenant in my blood. So again, Paul is saying the exact same thing that Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The bread is the body. The blood is the wine. All right? And he says that you are to do, and note this, he says this in both cases, do this. So, yes, you are supposed to do this. The question that comes up between Lutherans is frequency. Um, there are some Lutheran churches that have weekly communion. There's good argument for it. Uh, but it's not mandated. But there's also the far extreme end where you have some people, some churches that only look have communion like once a month, four times a year, and that's based off of a mis an abuse of a Luther quote. Uh, Luther said that um, if somebody has not received the Lord's Supper at least four times in a year, it should be feared that they're not saved. That was not an excuse to only have the Lord's Supper on four times because what if somebody's sick on one of those four days? You know, and they're not able to make it, so now they can't have four times. So that was not what he meant. In fact, if you read Luther elsewhere, Luther actually wrote that if it, if it was up to him, we would have communion every single day. So he definitely would not advocate for four times a year. Um, the reason why in the early Americas, United States, um, many churches only had four times a year was because they had what were known as the circuit riders. So remember. Only a pastor can, um, can can administer the Lord's Supper, an ordained minister. And so a pastor would only be able to get to a certain church, to many of the churches, four times a year. And that's those four times a year is when they would have communion. We don't have that issue anymore in the United States, and therefore it's not, not an acceptable practice. Um, but the frequency is up to debate. What is not up to debate is do this, all right? He says it, do this. 
Um, question also that comes up is when is the bread present, body present? When is the blood present? There are some who believe that when when the pastors say, Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. So when he when you hear those chanting of those spoken words, there are those who argue as when it is spoken over it, the elements, that is when the bread becomes present with the body. That is or the body becomes present with the bread. That is when the blood becomes present with the wine. So this is um, it's believed at this is known as a consecrationism. So it's believed at the consecration, at the speaking of the words of institution, that's when the elements, the the body and blood become present. There's another school of thought that believes is not the body and the blood until you receive it. This is known as receptionism. And the thing is, is that I think there could be a case for either side, but the much I think the easier way it go is just say we don't know, we don't know when it becomes present, and it's for that reason that when it comes to the elements, the bread, the wine, we treat it with respect. So because the bread was used for holy, holy purposes, the wine was used for holy purposes. This is why here in our own congregation we have a special drain that we pour wine down and that wine goes straight into the ground instead of into the, into the sewer. And the reason is we are giving it, we're treating it special or sometimes you'll put it into a bottle and it's what's, it's the consecrated wine. You separate it. There's consecrated wine. There's non consecrated wine or not. There's consecrated and like bread. You might, there's some, they'll bury the bread or they'll just, or sometimes you'll have churches where the pastor or the pastor and the elders or whatever, um, they will finish all the bread. They'll finish all the wine right there. Either way, it is a way of communicating that while we don't know 100% certain when it becomes the bread, I mean, when it becomes the body and blood, but we do know that it was used for holy and sacred purposes. And so we are to treat it as such. Um, and also here, one of the things is, so this kind of ties into the issue of closed communion. And we're going to talk about this more in detail, like I said, when I get to the closed communion video. But in the Lord's Supper, you're not, we do not allow people to partake the Lord's Supper until they know they have some understanding of the Christian faith. And the reason for that is these words, remembrance of me. You need to know who Jesus is. You have to know what his death was about, what his resurrection was about. And if you don't know that, you cannot do this in remembrance of him. You cannot proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, unless you know what his death is, unless you know who he is. This is why parents, adults, not just kids, adults, kids, whatever, need to be in Bible classes. They need to be in God's Word. This is why Luther said those who are unwilling to learn God's Word should be told they're stubborn and be, they should be denied the rights of a Christian. And there's probably way too many Christians that fall into this. They think they don't need to learn God's Word. They don't need to study his Bible, the Scriptures. They don't spend time. They don't come to Bible class. And because remember, you're not supposed to learn the scripture. So it's not solo scriptura; it's sola scriptura. 
Sola Scriptura means everything we believe, teach, and confess is based upon the scriptures. Solo Scriptura means that we learn it apart from anyone else. You're not supposed to learn the scriptures apart from the community. It's written to communities to be learned and digested in the midst of the community of Christians. That's why we have Bible classes. That's why we have sermons. But our sermons, we are only covering really little bit. If we really did a Bible study, our sermons would be like 45 minutes. And we'd have a lot of people complaining. And the service would probably get closer to an hour and a half, two hours. So because we're not going to have really long services, that's why we have Bible classes. So you can have, and we have multiple opportunities to come and hear God's word, whether you're in high school, junior high, elementary, your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s, whatever, you're supposed to be spent studying God's word. So that way you can truly do this, receive his supper in remembrance of him. Now he's, that's his command. Do this in remembrance of me. And people, so by the way, this is also a reminder. People say, well, I don't need to go to church. I, I just read the Bible for myself. Well, you may be reading, but you're not believing it. Because if you read it and believed it, you would hear, do this, communion. Now, is this requires the community of faith, not just, you can't just have it for yourself. Communion is not allowed to be done in isolation. This is why whenever I commune or shut-ins, I take communion. Even if it's just, if especially if it's one person, if it's just me in the shut-in, I commune. So it is always involving community. You are not to take communion by yourself, and it is supposed to be administered by a called and ordained servant of the Lord. So in other words, you communion at home on your own with your own bread, your own wine, is not permitted by scripture so that is being very it's being rebellious and so you may be reading god's word but you are rejecting what it says so all right so that's what we got on the lord's supper it's a very important it's a beautiful sacrament you know i talked about all the rules and what it means and what it is and ultimately why it is such a beautiful gift that god has given us is that while we are living in this world and the world is just beating us and battering us down the devil is firing so many flaming arrows not literally hopefully but he's trying to destroy he's trying to lead you into temptation to lead you away from christ and as we live through the turmoils of the world we deal with fires and floods and tornadoes earthquakes blizzards wars rumors of war um, we deal with all these problems in this world he gives us this meal a taste of heaven, a taste of what is to come, a taste and a reminder that all the turmoil in this world will come to an end. And he gives you something you can cling to to know that you are forgiven. You can cling to it. You can taste it. And, and one of the advantages of wine is you can smell it. And so you can taste, touch, and smell forgiveness. It's such a blessed thing. So you ask, like, am I forgiven? You look and say, look, you can say, look at that bread. Did you did you eat it? Did you eat that bread? Do you remember that taste? Do you remember that wine? It might have been strong, like, ugh, ugh. or it might have been really sweet, whatever it may be. But you remember it? In it, you have tasted, you, you have touched, touched, tasted, and smelled forgiveness. It's a blessed gift from God. 
And it's one that we are to treasure. So uh, I'm going to end there. The next video that I'm going to record is going to talk about the subject of closed communion. Who is it that is permitted to receive the Lord's Supper? I cover that to some degree here, but I'm going to go into more depth with that in the next video. So God bless.